that it's really easy to have high expectations for like how you're gonna reinvent your life really rapidly and get right back to doing the thing you used to be doing or whatever. But that it takes an awful lot of patience and an open mind and uh, a lot of being kind to yourself to really find that path um, again. Welcome to Connecting the Resilient. This is your host, Andrew Mangan. A little history, I suffered a spinal cord injury in December 2016. I started Connecting the Resilient to share stories of people who've gone through the experience of spinal cord injuries, but also from doctors, researchers, therapists, and more who share their information and their ideas and what they've learned from being in the spinal cord injury community. For more information, please visit our website at www.connectingtheresilient.com. Hey guys, Andrew here. Really excited to share with you today my conversation with Jim Harris. I spoke with Jim about a couple things, but I think the most uh, interesting thing for me, and I, I hope for you, was our discussion about kind of the role goal setting plays in somebody's recovery from a spinal cord injury or any serious injury, uh, as well as kind of Jim's mental attitude following his injury. Um, he was injured down in Chile a little over four years ago, and he spent about a month basically bedridden uh, before he was transferred, before he finally made it to a rehab hospital. And so talking with him about his mindset and kind of how he got to where he is now with a very, very positive outlook was really fascinating, and I really hope you enjoy the episode. Uh, I do want to apologize for the audio quality. Um, as some of you know, I am over in uh, Germany for the year, so recording um, has been a bit more difficult, and unfortunately there were some, there were some difficulties, some technical difficulties uh, recording this with Jim that I didn't notice till after, so it is a bit choppy, and I do apologize for that, um, but it is uh, it's still very clear. So look forward to sharing this with you, and I have a couple really, really interesting episodes coming down the line as well. As always, if you like the podcast, please be sure to like and subscribe. It really helps us out. Also, if you know of people who you think might be interesting for me to interview, please be sure to reach out. You can reach out on the website, www.connectingtheresilient.com. Enjoy the episode. I'm here with uh, Jim Harris. Jim, thanks so much for coming on today. Hey, Andrew, how you doing? Great. Um, so, Jim, you were injured in January of 2015. Could you tell us a bit about your accident and kind of the the days leading up to and after um, your accident? Yeah, yeah. I, um, the backstory to my accident was that uh, I was just about to begin a big ski trip in southern Chile and two friends and I had been given a grant from Polar Tech to go on this like 350 mile like pretty much backpacking on skis across glaciers 
Um, and as part of that trip, as a plan, we had these, we brought these little snow kites that are kind of like maybe function similar to like a sail for a sailboat. Um, and we were out practicing with those in a grassy field, um, just prior to like launching off on this trip for, for about a month was our plan, um, to be out, out on the ice. And, uh, I got picked up and slammed down by a wind gust and regained consciousness and realized I was paralyzed from sternum down. Um, I later learned that I had broken nine vertebrae and, um, T7 was the, was the worst damaged, um, and it was kind of the location of most of my nerve, nerve injury. Um, so I think T7 was about 60% occluded. Um, but I didn't learn that for, you know, maybe I think it was like a, a more than a week or 10 days after, because it took about eight days to get back to the United States to organize, um, organize an evacuation and, um, with help from family and, and like an assistant to the diplomat to the country of Chile from America. And, uh, so it was a bit of an ordeal to get home, but then wow. had five vertebrae fused in Cincinnati, Ohio on, on my birthday on December 1st in 2014. And then spent about the next six weeks on a bed rest, um, in Cincinnati and then transferred to Craig Hospital and made huge progress at, at Craig Hospital. Uh, I went from, you know, being flat on my back for more than a month to like learning to transfer into a chair and even just like the mobility of being able to roll up and down hospital uh, hallways after, after a month of just like, you know, literally staring at ceiling tiles. Uh, even just being able to like go outside and feel the warmth of the sun, like, January sun in Denver was amazing, but yeah, I made a lot of progress at Craig hospital. Um, spent a lot of, it was, was, uh, became a participant in a, uh, gate therapy program. Um, so for about an hour a day, I'd be harnessed above a treadmill with people moving my legs. And after about, gosh, probably did that for several months. Um, and I had really little voluntary control, almost no voluntary control of my legs at the start. And by the end could, walk, you know, unsupported without much body weight, unassisted, and then wow. transferred to like walking with a walker over ground and kind of over, over a handful of months went from like walker to, to, um, pair of trekking poles and, yeah, and then, um, a cane and eventually, eventually unassisted. And so do you walk unassisted today? Mostly I walk unassisted today. I have, um, I have a cane that's like, it's definitely more than decorative. And I really like it for social functions and concerts. Uh, I feel like my tolerance for alcohol is really low in that, like, before I'm even buzzed, I notice, like, big neurological changes. Like, my feet just feel like they're made of lead, and I get really stumbly, and I, like, my balance gets poor. Um, and so it's not that practical for me to have, you know, more than a drink or two. And even when I have a drink or two, to having a cane be a real asset plus there's like this For whole sure. social stigma like even my unassisted walking's kind of, kind of swervy i have a pretty pretty um pretty obvious limp yeah. and that's i've not generally i've gotten less self-conscious of that i guess like at the grocery store doesn't phase me if people notice but out in scenes where people are drinking and people mistake me for somebody who's been like really wasted somehow that kind yeah. of grates on me and so if like if i'm swerving around with a cane then people are like oh it's a guy with a disability I'm swerving around that yeah. cane. People are like, dude, check out that guy. He's so, <laughs> he is so drunk. 
I'm like, no, I've only yeah. had one. And they're like, yeah, sure, buddy. Whatever you say, man. <laughs> yeah. That's super funny. You mentioned that because that happens to me all the time. <laughs> um, yeah. That, that happened to or me just recently. Like, at concerts was, or... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was, uh, um, yeah, sorry. See, so, yeah, I was up in, uh, I was in Scotland with my family and we were, um, it was just the summer and we were staying at this uh, like hotel that was above this bar. Um, and so I'm, we, we got in super late and so I'm carrying a lot of bags and we're going in and then I trip like right in the doorway. Um, and so I fall down and <laughs> there's a group of, of Scottish guys outside and they're all very drunk and they, they pulled me up and they're like, you gotta sit down laddie. <laughs> and they, um, <laughs> yeah. and they, they basically, they forced me to sit down and they're like, <laughs> you'll be all right in a bit and then and there was yes it was, it was funny, <laughs> but i totally totally <laughs> totally know what you mean <laughs> yeah i've had that also where people are like oh yeah you just you just need a minute your legs will be they'll be working again in a second and i'm like yeah i wish that was the case <laughs> really do wish yeah. that i just needed a two minute break and it would all be fine but yeah like the yeah, cane's really functional funny. for concerts and like places that are kind of packed and people get pushy and i feel like um just as Healing. like a male and and um, being like a, a male in culture you get shoved around a lot more by other dudes who are trying to be broy and alpha or something i don't even know and yeah. having a cane really cuts down on that amount of like how much people will like shove past you to get to the front of a show or something and yeah and i also definitely think uh, you and i like are a similar we look very similar um when we when we walk now and but yeah i think like a lot of that is um like we're at the point where i mean thankfully we are mobile enough where we don't like need any sort of assistive device but we're we're not mobile enough where we blend in and it's kind of that it's kind of that um, yeah like able enough where most people don't think we're disabled but then disabled enough where where some people uh, notice you and i notice it most in in like like little kids because they they don't know not to um like if they see something different they just stare which is is really interesting because like everybody kind of thinks the same way but um, i find it super interesting how little kids are just um they haven't kind of realized well, i mean realized or been and been taught whether it's a good or a bad thing um but I find that interesting. Yeah, so, no, that's, that's well said. So, could you? Um, so, how long were you at Craig? I was at Craig from as an inpatient from January until uh, almost three months, I think. It was just under okay. like about two and a half or three months, and then stuck uh -huh. around for outpatient therapy for another several months, and then went okay. from Craig Hospital straight out to to uh tahoe and spent another couple months with um high fives foundation and Truckee. and so the um the gate therapy you talked about was that the uh neural recovery network program yeah it was i wasn't actually part of the study because i think that the phase this i did not qualify for the phase of the study that they were in but that was in a but it was of the same same equipment and the same team that was doing the, that NRN study. I think, yeah, like I think one thing that, especially, you know, early on, or really throughout my recovery that has been 
been crucial is, is like the high repetition, high intensity exercise that that seems like, it seems kind of like our nervous systems have this sort of inertia where they don't want to change. They don't want to heal unless there's such a demand for it that they're almost like forced into it, if that makes sense. And so, yeah, so it seems like it's been things like gait therapy and riding a bike and like being in a situation like, um, you were describing just before I started the interview about, you know, having to, to walk around in European cities, um, where the accessibility is just sort of okay. And that, that being forced to ambulate that way, like makes it, makes a big difference. And so I really experienced that with, uh, with like gate therapy stuff and just hours spent on, you know, an hour a day, five days a week on a treadmill and looking at some of the research on kind of things that stimulate nerve growth it seems like maybe even a couple hours would be better than one hour but finding anybody who will pay for that is real tough really? finding access to that sort of thing is, is not easy yeah yeah i've been um i used the when i was at craig hospital i used the um alter g uh treadmill and yeah, i've sure. been perpetually searching for another one since i left <laughs> um because it yeah, was just not that it was common. super helpful um, no, they're, they're super few and far between, but no, I definitely, definitely agree with you on kind of, it almost seems like doing something that you can, it's right on the cusp of you not being able to do it. And you just kind of something that like you have to do. Um, and then after a while, it's just becomes a little easier and a little easier. And I've also found recently that like, I almost sort of, if I don't, um, like if I don't move around in a certain day or if I don't go to the gym that I, I sort of regress to a point that's definitely noticeable. Whereas if I go to the gym for a whole week, I'm, I'm kind of like pushing, I, don't know, I guess, pushing my nervous system to um, like a new level and it's noticeable. My walking's better um, and everything's kind of functioning a little better. Whereas if I um, like take off for a couple of days, I can definitely kind of notice it's not, it's not like it's moving backwards, but it's, it's, um, kind of regressing back to the not like hyper excited state. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that, that resonates with me. I experienced that same thing. It doesn't take very many days of not exercising before things lock up and my mobility really steps backwards yeah. pretty quickly. And so Jim, I, I mean, I recently saw, um, I saw a video of you running now. Um, and I, I've, uh, seen a video of you, your first time back to skiing. Could you talk a bit about uh, kind of the milestones you've had since your accident and in the, the months, years um, following that? Yeah, I'd love to talk about some of the milestones and kind of that, that goal setting. You know, when I first um, applied to be a High Fives grant recipient, one of the requirements is to is to, to write out a schedule of, of goals and milestones. I, I think mine were to like, First to stand and then to walk and to be able to live independently. And I think my last goal was to get on skis again. And it was, it was really useful to like, I mean, those are all things that I knew that I wanted to accomplish, but writing them down, I think did make a difference in, in the sort of like goal setting mindset, I think of, of actually manifesting those in real life. Um, and so within the, by the end of the first year on like the one year anniversary of my accident, I got back on skis with my brother and 
um, wobbled down the bunny slope. And I don't know, like it maybe kind of counts as skiing. It was like technically skiing more than yeah, what skiing felt like weird. before I got hurt. But just the ability to live independently is, um, is huge as a person who had lived very, you know, really sought a lot of independence before I got hurt. I think I'd, it felt really crucial that I regained that sense of autonomy. And so being able to like, you know, um, carry laundry and bend over and put it in the, in the washing machine without collapsing was like, you know, that was a huge ordeal for a, a while, for quite a while. And like, same with like grocery shopping. And, but at the same time, I really desired the independence of being able to take care of myself on a day-to-day -day basis. And so kind of after that first year of goal setting, it was kind of like, it seemed like, you know, the sort of like a many of the sort of baseline quality of living goals I'd accomplished within that first year. Like I could, I could shop for my own groceries. I got a driver's license again, you know, kind of regained a lot of it, um, independence from a strictly functional sense, but maybe not from the sense of having a very high quality of life. And so since then, kind of a lot of my, the milestones have been about kind of continuing to seek that, but with a bigger and bigger chunk of that being around and kind of aligning my ability and my expectations. And on one half, like revising my expectations so that they conform more to more to what to better reflect what life is like and what life's going to be like. And on the other hand, to like continue to up my ability so that um, my disability is less and less of a hindrance. Yeah, um, because it really seems like kind of having that like the life that we experience and that life that we expect like if those things are aligned, then we tend to be pretty happy. Um, mm -hmm. People who are in really close alignment with those are, are like, you know, people who are just kind of like blissed out all the time. And, <laughs> and it's a little bit hard to like, you know, like, well, I could just set my expectations for myself very low and be real content and complacent. But ultimately that doesn't seem like that will be very satisfying, but it also doesn't work to have, have an expectation that's really not going to be attainable where, and where my perfectionist tendencies take over and my, you know, expectations for myself are so high that I'm like never going to reach it. And as soon as I do reach some milestone, I'm like already dissatisfied and looking towards the next one. So it really seems like kind of like from a life contentment standpoint, I have to focus on taking a lot of enjoyment from the process of moving towards those milestones and not the actual reaching of the milestone. So with that in mind, I think kind of like my milestones have been things like, well, what would be a fun goal to work? towards and so for the third like the, the three-year anniversary of my of my accident uh, i decided to go and pedal the white rim trail in a day which is like this 101 mile jeep road through canyonlands national park in utah and that was a really incredible day like it, it all went really smoothly but i'd say like all the bike rides and kind of things leading up to that that enabled me to do that in a day were like just as satisfying as going out and actually doing it. I don't know. I feel like like I've had all these physical milestones, but they feel like they've kind of gotten like, you know, like trying to jog down the length of a strip of AstroTurf the other day before face planting, trying to get, you know, like both feet in the air, trying to like is 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 a good milestone, but also it seems more like the um mental outlook shifts that I've that 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 have um happened through my recovery. I've really been like a lot more a bigger piece of feeling like life is satisfying than any like physical thing that gets Instagram likes or whatever. Does that does that kind of answer that question? Yeah, and you made uh you made an interesting point about 
kind of talk about how the milestones themselves, while they're important, they it's more the um, the working towards them. And I definitely, definitely agree with you on that. Um, skiing for me, like you, was a huge milestone, um, but kind of all the 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 rehab to get up to that point was like equally cool. And like once I reached that, it was then because like my first day, <laughs> like you, I don't know if um, I would classify it as skiing. <laughs> I was more just making it down the hill. But it was like once I reached that goal, it was on to the next one um, of like improving my skiing and and like getting better and so yeah i think it's 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 definitely also an, an attribute kind of to the mental part of it too how we create the the physical milestones really affects like the kind of the scope of the milestones we create um like you could have a huge one or 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 many little ones and it's it's a uh, it's really interesting kind of the, the difference between whether you you measure your progress through the big milestones or the little milestones and in many ways i think um, kind of measuring it through the smaller day-to-day, week-to-week milestones is equally, if not more, uh, um, beneficial. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that is, like, one one of the big advantages that I've felt from trying to do things, you know, maybe once a month or every other month that feel like they're kind of at the, are really going to push me to the limit of my ability has been, there are all these incremental changes that happen day-to-day that I don't notice until I try and, like, do something yeah. that's like you know something that's sort of a test of strength or endurance or something you know whether it's like walking the length of the shopping mall or doing the, some exercise at the gym or something you know it can be it can be a lot of things i guess is what i mean to say um yeah absolutely and those, um, those are the things that feel like uh that yeah there are incremental changes all the time that i just don't even notice until i try and until i try and test myself to test somehow it. yeah for sure. And so could you talk a bit about your kind of current um, three plus years out? What's your day-to-day rehab look like now? Oh, yeah. I just had the four-year anniversary of my accident uh, a couple days ago. Um, yeah, so, um, you know, I feel like there's been a lot of ebb and flow with my attachment to really hitting hard at rehab. I felt like when my accident happened, my kind of self-identity as being a photographer and mountain guide was gone so quickly like all those accomplishments weren't really relevant to who I was anymore and that just got kind of supplanted almost immediately by this like new goal of like I'm gonna walk again like I'm gonna find a way to do this and kind of self-identity got very quickly replaced by sort of this outlook of of rehab guy and maybe one and, and that worked for a while um maybe like two years or so until my recovery, you know, like I noticed the rate of change slow down my interest in doing other things in life, you know, and versus just spending time with the gym, um, increased and kind of like kind of sunk into some, some pretty deep depression around the two year anniversary of my accident. And one of the things that the outcomes of that was this idea that we were just touching on of like seeing how my, so much of my kind of um, well-being was centered around feeling like I needed to achieve something in order to be happy. That like, if I do this, then I can be happy. And realizing what a flawed outlook that is. But I think it's also like a really common outlook and that like, you know, it's what our school system and our economic system both kind of drill into us. Like, if you get this 
grade, then you can, then you will be happy. If you get into this good school, then you'll be happy. If you get this job or this paycheck or this nice car or the house or the whatever, once you achieve this thing, then you can be happy. And I think it's also no secret those don't tend to work very well. And somehow I thought I had to kind of like sidestep that in adult life by having really some goals and aspirations that were pretty far outside the norm. Like I want to travel the world and be a photographer and having a very enviable looking life from the outside and even like an enviable looking recovery from other people in the similar situations, but also not being very happy because it was like, cause I didn't have permission to be happy until I accomplished the thing. And as soon as I accomplished the thing, I was like already looking towards the next the next goal and it still is like it was like you know never going to be enough and so that's still a mindset that I struggle with it's so pervasive in our culture that it's hard to not think that way but maybe just being having the self-awareness to see to see that that those thoughts happening um, and notice them is enough to disengage from it just a little bit and to be a little yeah. more content with the way things are right now and to yeah, for sure. And I mean that you kind of touch on a point. Um, my next point and something that I think you, for the most part, um, have, have been pretty successful with when we were talking about it earlier about how crucial is, um, just kind of attitude in general. And, and you talked about your mindset and I mean, yeah, just being you having the ability to be aware of the, um, kind of source of your, or, unhappiness if you will um i think is is something that is is really important and i think it it helped you a lot early on and i mean you were um like you said you were bedridden for six weeks which is which is crazy i mean i was only i was only really um i was in craig like two weeks after my injury um and even that seemed like an eternity just staring at the ceiling. Um, so I, I mean, I can't imagine what, uh, how hard it was for you. And so could you talk a bit about kind of what you did and what went through your head, um, initially and your thoughts on kind of the power of having, having that good outlook? Yeah, I think some of the things that like really helped me in regards to sort of like that mental strategy side or outlook is like one was that I had, I think a lot of time in the outdoors and doing expedition travel stuff, I'd really internalize kind of the idea of breaking big problems into, into really small goals. And so instead of looking at like, will I walk again? Won't I walk again as a, as a problem that that was kind of, that was like not really my day to day focus, I guess. Like it was something that I knew was an overarching goal but that was more like the overarching goal in the sense of like a compass direction to follow and um while kind of like the day-to-day -day goals were like i want to be able to um you know transfer in and out of a wheelchair i want to be able to like get myself in and out of a standing frame without help or you know all these like small pieces where i want to be able to like sit on this in my wheelchair and kick this balloon with a therapist um, and then kind of focusing on the small goals and being able to like uh, um, focus on those without being overwhelmed by the big picture is like it's such a elemental skill but it's one that that spine injuries are such an overwhelming 
thing that I think um, it can be so overwhelming and so novel that a lot of us have a really hard time breaking those into small little pieces and ignoring, you know, the maybe not ignoring, but not focusing on the, the almost heart big, like breakingly big problem. I think that makes a difference. I think I've really gravitated towards not seeing myself as a victim and also like the circumstances of my accident. Like it was, I don't know, I guess I could blame a wind gust or something like that, but it was kind of like my own ignorance and mess up from an otherwise very good safety record of outdoor stuff that resulted in this accident. And I think that that, that seeing it that way helped me take responsibility for being able to get myself out of it, the situation too. Like, well, I got myself into this. I'm going to have to be the one who gets myself out of this. Um, Versus a mindset that's maybe more kind of like victim oriented, which seems like it's also really common where people are like, I got hit from behind while driving on the highway and um, this horrible thing happened to me and life is doing this terrible stuff to me. And people who are just, uh, you know, very identified with, with feeling like victims. And I guess I haven't felt that. But I think the advantage of not feeling that is that I feel like I have a lot of agency to change my, like the path of my future. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that, especially um, kind of the, uh, when you talked about like not feeling like a victim. And I think the underlying message is, is that you, you really took charge of kind of what you were going to do with your recovery, whatever it, it may have been. Um, and I think that's super important in both an attitude um, aspect, but also in kind of the physical um, recovery aspect. So Jim, my, uh, my last question to kind of finish up the episode. Um, and I ask this to everyone who comes on here as a lot of the listeners are people who've either recently um, experienced a spinal cord injury or their friends or family or care group. And so if you had to, um, and it's, it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard question, but if you had to, what advice would you give somebody who is just getting onto this road that you and I have been on for so long? I think one of the more meaningful pieces of advice I got was to be kind to yourself and that it's really easy to have high expectations for like how you're going to reinvent your life really rapidly and get right back to doing the thing you used to be doing or whatever, but that it takes an awful lot of patience and an open mind and uh, a lot of being kind to yourself to really find that path um, again. Absolutely. You've proven with uh, kind of your attitude throughout, um, and I've, I've noticed in this conversation, among other places, um, how much I can, I can see reflected in your attitude as well. Um, but I oh, definitely, thank you. Def- definitely think that's good advice. Well, Jim, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me. I really enjoyed talking with you, and I think we, we covered some, some pretty cool stuff um, that I think will be super useful to everyone listening. So thanks again for taking the time to speak with me. You're welcome, Andrew. Thank you for your time.